Welcome to True North Strong, a sports performance podcast, and I'm your host, Jay Malhado. Join me as I chat with some of the top sports performance practitioners from far and wide and discuss from a uniquely Canadian perspective all things sport and human performance. My goal is that within these conversations, we will uncover the through lines that connect us all. Welcome everyone to True North Strong, a sports performance podcast. I'm excited to chat with my guest today, Alina Luciani, who is a strength coach and creator of Training to Excel, which is a Toronto-based performance coaching, educating, kind of do it all uh, within the performance world. So I'm excited to just kind of learn a little bit more about how that evolved and um, some more about you kind of outside of the weight room as well. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. Well, uh, we've kind of known each other indirectly and now directly um, for a long time. So as I started putting kind of my list together, you were right at the top, um, being a big influence on getting this started, but also some other projects over the last year and a half, two years. So super excited to, to dig in a little bit. So I'm just excited. as we kind of get to know you a bit, kind of what was the path and the evolution of training to excel? How did it start, um, you know, to where it is today? That's a loaded question to start <laughs> off with, Jay, but we could get right into it. So I, I will say a lot of my background in the strength conditioning industry comes from uh, private sector training facilities I've worked at as well as the collegiate route. I've worked at several different universities in both the OUA and the NCAA, but Training to Excel really was born from my time at Laurier. I, um, I guess I should back up a little bit. I was a, a five-year varsity athlete. I played four years of basketball and a year of lacrosse, all while doing my degree in kinesiology at WLU. And during that time, I knew I wanted to be involved in sport in some capacity in the future. And so I had the opportunity to get a job at a private sector training facility and really fell in love with strength and conditioning and helping athletes excel in their sport. Um, and it really came from a place of me doing it for myself. So, you know, growing up, I, I had two older brothers and they definitely showed me the importance of the work that I was doing off the court and how it would benefit me on the court. So that's really when I started to realize the importance of strength and conditioning itself. But when I got a chance to actually work with athletes and see them succeed and reach their goals, that was incredibly satisfying and I felt that I could really make an impact in this field. So I was, I was the head strength coach at Laurier for two years. And that's actually where training to Excel was originally born. So it was when I had, you know, fourth and fifth year athletes leaving and they would come into my office saying, Elena, I don't know what to do in the gym. Can you write me a program? And they would always say, you know, I'll pay you. And my mom is an entrepreneur. She has two of her own businesses. So I knew at some point I was going to follow those footsteps. And she was the one that encouraged me to register training to excel as a business. So if these athletes that were graduating, you know, were purchasing programs from me, there was a little bit of legitimacy to it, but I really used it as a platform to share my experience as a young female strength coach in the field. So I was writing blogs. I started the Instagram account just to connect with like-minded people. And I think in the back of my mind, I always knew what I wanted it to become, but I wasn't sure the path that I was going to take to get there. 
So after my time at Laurier, I went on to pursue my master's in coaching at Ohio University and had the opportunity to work with a handful of the teams there, which was a phenomenal experience. I came home, got a job at York University, so started making my rounds of the OUA um, and worked as the full-time assistant there for a year. And it was after that year, I made the decision to resign and pursue training to excel as a full-time career. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get into this kind of part of my journey at some point. I'm very open about it. But in the summer of 2017, I very suddenly lost my dad, which I know, you know, you were very connected to my dad, which I think is why we have kind of a, such a special bond. Um, and when something like that happens, it really makes you realize how short life is. And there were a couple moments that I had as I was working at York that I just had, you know, some time to reflect on what I really wanted. And I think originally I had kind of said to myself, oh, I I'll wait till I'm in my thirties. I'll wait till I've, you know, got 10 years in the collegiate system under my belt before, you know, I pursue the, the entrepreneurial side of things. But after that happened, I just recognized that I shouldn't wait. And I gave myself a timeline of a year. I said, I'm going to give this a try for a year. And I'm happy to say that almost three years later, I uh, haven't looked back. Actually, it will be three years at the end of this month. So. Oh, nice. I know you I'm guys happy you to say... do a birthday, training to excel birthday extravaganza. So that's super <laughs> exciting, right? Well, yeah. actually, training to excel's birthday is in November. But when I resigned from York was the end of April. The all-in so, birthday. The all yeah, both, the all-in birthday. The water. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's come a long way, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll kind of get into, but you know, now it's, um, it's my full-time career and I really couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. So I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be able to, you know, work for myself. And how kind of going back to, you know, spending some time with, within the college setting and, and having those questions from athletes who are graduating or, or wanting something, you know, um, additional to maybe what was happening within the university, like the program, right. Whether that's nutrition piece or, or can you make me a meal plan? I get that a lot. Right. Like, so you start formulating that plan in your head maybe you have some, you know, well, here's a program or here's just something nutrition or something, but. Mm -hmm. I am very intrinsically motivated. I'm very, very self-disciplined. So I, I think actually, to be very honest, I'm also very stubborn. My, my mom, if she ever listens to this, I'm sorry, mom, but you're also very stubborn. And my dad was very stubborn. I, I see it as a positive because I think it's allowed me to get where I am today. And there were just certain things that you know, I really felt like there was a, a ceiling over my head in some of these positions. And I loved my time in the collegiate sector. I am now back in the collegiate sector and in a small capacity at Mac. And so it's not that I wanted to leave it completely, but I just felt like I was capable of more. And I almost felt like I was being not pulled down, but I just I don't know, I guess maybe I wanted to quote unquote, spread my wings. And I knew that I was always capable of that because I didn't need, I didn't need the support and the validation from others because I just, I guess I just always kind of had my own back with that. And I'm so stubborn that I kind of refuse to, I don't want to say fail because I think failure is a beautiful thing and it, and it gets you, you know, on, on the path you're meant to be on, but I just kind of didn't take no for an answer. 
and imposter syndrome is definitely real. And I think it's very real in strength and conditioning because there's always someone that's doing more and has more experience and is, has more letters beside their name. And something that I often think about and something I try to teach those that I mentor is framing it as I have something unique to offer. I have a unique perspective to share. And when you frame it like that, you're coming from a place of, I'm excited to share what I know and share what I've learned. I also understand, I'm the first one to tell you, I'm forever a student. And so even when, you know, I run my clinic course or when I speak to a group of young strength and conditioning interns, I always admit, I still have so much to learn. I'm still always learning and I don't know it all. But that's the beautiful thing about this industry is there is always new information to know, but something to constantly remind myself. And if, you know, there's a listener that's kind of wondering, you know, how to get through that imposter syndrome is, is tell yourself you have a unique perspective to share. No one has walked your path. No one has gone through the experiences you've been through. And of course, there's always going to be more to know, and there's always going to be more to learn. But I think at every kind of stage of our life, we have a unique perspective to share that someone can learn from and someone can benefit from. So, I mean, I'm not saying that imposter syndrome is completely gone, but I think I've also just grown to be more confident in who I am as a person and what I offer and how I coach. And I think that's helped a lot along my path. Yeah, I, th- I think that unique perspective piece is, is what really sticks out and, and stuck out with me as, as we have conversations over the last couple of years is, is that you have a unique perspective and that, you know, there's maybe other people that have walked a similar path and could use, you know, a little bit of a light to, to help navigate that. Right. And it doesn't have to be 10,000 people. It doesn't have to be, you know, it could just be one or two. And so um, that's been really helpful. Switching gears a little bit, um, you know, like you mentioned, I knew your dad, I, I know your brothers, both of them um, through mutual connections and things like that, but don't know a lot about you opposed from what you kind of share on social media, which is a great balance of education and strength and conditioning and performance, but also life away from that, you know, like making Legos or, you know, what, you know, what lunch you kind of make or what coffee shops you visit, like things like that, which I think is super important. So here's a little rapid fire to kind of get to know you a little bit more. What's your favorite movie? Oh, remember <laughs> the Titans. Okay. Um, favorite book? Starts with Why by Simon Sinek. Okay. Staying on the entertainment end of it. Um, favorite song, or if you can't pin down a song, favorite artist? Signed, Sealed, Delivered uh, by Stevie Wonder. Okay, nice. I know you're a big foodie. What's your favorite food, but healthy uh, in the healthy category? Ooh, honestly, I love a good spread, like fresh veggies and a grilled protein and a really good dip, like a hummus or something. I know that's not really like one food, but all <laughs> of it together is, is my ideal plate. <laughs> um, what about guilty pleasure food? Ice cream sandwich with soft serve ice cream and sprinkles. And I think I know the spot (laughs) that 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 comes from Uh, in Burlington, I think, right? 
That's one of them. <laughs> yep, Kelly's Bake Kelly's Shop Bake in Burlington. Shop. Yeah. But actually, as a kid, my mom, when we would go on ski trips, used to make us Eggo waffle ice cream sandwiches. Oh. And those, that is a special kind of dessert. So if anyone listening, go get yourself some Eggos and some vanilla ice cream. And I promise you, you will not regret it. <laughs> Such a good combo. <laughs> I've got some blueberry Eggos in the freezer. I might be getting into that tonight. There um, you go. I love it. And over the last couple of years, you know, with your clinics, which we'll talk about, um, you've had an opportunity to kind of travel, you know, across the, you know, hitting some, some, provinces outside of Ontario and you, you mentioned kind of trips with your family what's your favorite Canadian city that you have visited Halifax and Vancouver I'm gonna say two because I love them for different reasons I, I will say I haven't traveled to a ton of Canadian cities so that's something that is kind of on my agenda in the in the coming years but I think what Halifax and Vancouver offer is city Ocean, with ocean right. and that to me is like the perfect blend so they they both hold a special place in my heart and, and on both ends of the country so that's pretty cool as well yeah. um a great segue a canadian city you'd like to visit kind of the top of the list calgary mm. haven't been to calgary yet really cool i was at uh a camp with hockey canada at the olympic park a, a few years ago now and to see, you know, where the Olympics were was really, really cool. And, and to see the ski jump, you know, it was the summer, but to see the ski jump facility and just, you know, my neck was hurting looking up that high and I was like, well, people slide down this and jump <laughs> and the bobsled track. And, and so, you know, we were kind of on the, in the rink and, and at the facilities most of the time, but um, definitely was, was cool to see that piece of Canadian history, right? Where we hosted mm -hmm. the Olympics. Um, outside of Canada, favorite place that you've visited? Ooh, probably Portos in Giorgio in Italy, which I went to as a kid, but I just remember it being such a beautiful area. It's kind of like a small beach town in Italy. Um, my dad also has family there. So I think there's just some of that kind of um, familiarity with it, but that's a place that I cannot wait to go back to. So I am excited to go back to Italy. Awesome. Is there a dream destination? Anywhere in Greece. I would love to go to Greece and I'd love to go to Ireland. Those are top two, top two on my list. For that plays in with the love of spreads, you know, Greece, yes. you know, Mediterranean diet. Honestly, the Mediterranean diet, that is, that is the diet for me. Um, you know, we're lucky in, in Canada and to have all four seasons do you have a favorite season? Fall and winter, because I think I like my wardrobes in those seasons <laughs> best. Um, but also fall for me, I think, because I spent so long in school and also in the collegiate setting, um, you know, after I graduated, there's just something about kind of that fresh start in the fall. It was the start of a new football season, which was kind of a big deal in my house. And then I'm a big holiday person. So I have to say winter because Christmas is in winter and I just, I'm a nerd when it comes to Christmas. So those would be my favorites. Yeah. There is an energy around late August, early September when you're, mm -hmm. when you're working in sport, when you're on that calendar for so long. Yeah. New Year's Eve and New Year's Day doesn't even have a, that restart 
um, feeling. September 1st has that restart feeling. It's kind of weird or September 5th mm-hmm. or whatever, right? So mm-hmm. uh, totally, totally get that. One of the um, kind of pieces to this is called the separator. And I got that term from a basketball coach uh, when he was talking about his program and, and the things that they do to separate themselves from their competition, right? And, and I just really love that word. It stuck out to me. Um, you know, a lot of people don't sometimes like the term like expert or expertise, right? And, and I think separator speaks a little bit differently, right? And so mm-hmm. one of the things that really separates you um, is that you're able to see these gaps, kind of like you mentioned, right? Seeing a ceiling within, um, you know, the, the setting you were in before and, and seeing some gaps as far as athletes next stage after playing and after graduating and, and doing a great job of filling those gaps or figuring out, hey, what's out there in that area and how to make it digestible and how to make it um, something that everybody can can utilize and not just kind of a specific population if that's where it came from. And, and that's kind of what brought us kind of together initially was a lot of the educational pieces that you do with training to Excel and the queuing and programming course and, and the goal setting stuff and the mentorships, like all of these things to help grow the profession and also fill these gaps in our education. We don't learn a lot of this stuff in undergrad or in fitness and health promotion or in our certifications and how are those how did those courses of begin but also how have they evolved where the, where you saw those gaps and how you started to, to gradually fill them yeah that's a great question and I really appreciate the the kind words and and it's pretty cool to see or to hear that you kind of see me as someone that that is resourceful and, and does fill the gaps because I've always been, I like to use the term gritty. Like if I, if I can't find the answer, I'll, I'll make the answer. Or I, I often use the term, if there's not a door, I'll build one. And I've done that a lot in my career as a strength coach. So my time at Laurier, they actually didn't have a strength conditioning program. And I had the opportunity to build it and, you know, build out a business plan, build it a proposal and pitch it to the athletics department. And I'm sure some people probably thought, what the heck are you trying to do? But if there's no door, I'm going to build it. And I, I do think making things accessible to people is something that our profession almost tries to avoid. It sometimes feels like with continuing education, it's like, let's make it as niche as possible. Let's make it as complex as possible and see who comes out on top kind of thing. And so for me as, you know, with the position I'm in now and having the ability to create things and the only person that can tell me no is me and I don't have to listen <laughs> is, is creating more accessibility to resources that could really impact young strength coaches, young trainers, young movement practitioners, not even just young, but, you know, just practitioners in general is really important to me because I think that's something I really had to work to seek out as a young strength coach. So I just, I want to be able to give back and give to the individual that I was once in their position. And yeah, I, I think it really comes down. I'm, I'm going to use the same word accessibility. That to me is really, really important 
because I find that in all the courses and, you know, in all the different kind of certifications, it's all about the, the X's and O's. And yes, understanding human performance and human movement from a cellular level is very important. I will, I will never deny that. But there are ways and there are things that we don't learn in courses and certifications that are often more important than, than that kind of physiology. And I say that because we could know all the physiology, but if we don't know how to communicate it to the individuals that we're working with or the individuals that we're teaching, well, then how are we supposed to get them to understand what we're asking of them if we can't effectively communicate that? And for a long time, I pushed aside my natural strengths. So I'm someone that loves to talk. I'm someone that loves to connect with people. I really try to go out of my way to get to know people and develop a really genuine relationship. And when I was coming into the field, I thought that was a weakness as opposed to a strength. So I constantly ask myself, well, what other courses can I be taking? And, you know, should I do my PhD and should I do this? And I need to read more articles and I need to do all these things and really pushed aside kind of natural strengths that I had. And it wasn't until that I started to take ownership of those strengths that my coaching got better, my education got better. Um, and I was able to deliver things and, and be more intentional and, get the individuals that I was working with to really understand what I was asking of them and, you know, bringing, I guess, my two worlds together of human performance, but also the importance of communication and connection, which is something that isn't taught, right? A lot of times, oh, well, we know how to string sentences together. Therefore, we know how to communicate. But communicating effectively is very, very different. So that's, that's an area I've really, really tried to dive into. Um, and I'm really, really passionate about, and that's a massive gap that I see in our field. And it's starting to be talked about and um, there's, there's, you know, starting to be a little bit more weight placed in that area. So I'm, I'm trying to be kind of part of the change that I wish to see in the industry. You know, thinking back to it, it wasn't something that we, we talked about at all. And, and, you know, I was in a, a kind of college system when I went to school. And so, you know, a little bit more practical based learning perhaps. Right. And, and we weren't getting that either. We had the basic, you know, external cues or internal or internal cues, just very, you know, just ha simple things, but we didn't get a toolbox. And so if that one thing that we were taught didn't work, we were in trouble and we started to have to figure it out on our own or, and so there wasn't a lot of resources or there wasn't, you know, a course like yours where, you know, over two days we can, go through it and, and practically do exercises. And then, Hey, this is a cue and have collaborative learning. Like that wasn't happening. And so, you know, how did that idea of seeing a gap, you know, maybe talking about it or posting it on social media, as far as, you know, exercise cues, maybe that you used go from that to live event. What was that evolution like? So it actually all started with, um, when I came back from my master's, I started filming, you know, different exercises in my workout and kind of putting up cues around the exercise, just in, in a way to help educate my community on social media and just share some, some tools, as you said, to better their, their own workouts or their own training. And I started, you know, um, kind of taking a couple younger coaches kind of under my wing and, and mentoring them a little bit. And I was finding that I was getting 
very similar questions. And a lot of them would go and do their certification and come back to me and say, okay, I learned all of this, but then how do I actually go about applying it? So that started to get the, the gears turning a little bit. And I remember, honestly, it all happened like one day, I just put it out to my social media community. And I just said, if I were to run kind of a queuing and programming clinic, is this something you'd be interested in? And I put it up there and I got a really great response. So I did a two hour clinic in an afternoon. I laugh at that now because in two hours, you can barely scratch the surface, but it was kind of the springboard for what the queuing and programming clinics would become. So they turned into kind of a, a full day clinic. Um, where we go through kind of very applicable pieces of coaching. So we talk about communication, we talk about connection, we talk about cueing our foundational movement patterns, and then we get into programming and we kind of focus on, on linear periodization. And then in level two, we progress to kind of different elements of setting up a program. And so, you know, now what it has turned into, so since the pandemic, it did have to shift to the virtual space, and truthfully, I'm so happy that it did as much as I miss that kind of in-person connection, the reach is much greater when you're in the virtual space. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And I do believe that has outweighed that kind of, you know, um, in-person connection. Um, and now it is a fully functioning online course with the live sessions still a part of it, because I do think it's one thing to go through a course and get all the information, but I want there to be some discussion. I want there to be time to kind of share perspectives and ask questions and kind of dive a little bit deeper into some of these points. And I think the beautiful thing about these clinics is it's bringing together a group of people with all different perspectives. And I say right off the bat, I don't know everything. I'm still learning. I'm not here to tell you it's the right or the wrong way. I'm just sharing my perspective and what I've learned in, in my 10 plus years. So it just creates really awesome discussion and it, it creates a little bit more accessibility for some of, for, for some of, you know, the key points in our industry. And so I'm really, I'm really, really proud of, of how far it's come. And I don't admit that often because I'm just the type of person that every time I check a box, I'm like, okay, on to the next one. But in reflecting in the last couple of weeks, it's really cool to see how the clinic has evolved. And I think the thing that makes me the most happy is when I get feedback from people saying like, I was able to, you know, go to a training session with a client right after the clinic. And I was able to implement the things that we talked about. That is, that's fantastic. That's all I could ever ask for. Because I know personally, there's a lot of continuing education conferences and clinics that I leave thinking, okay, that was great information. I will store that in my knowledge bank for the one time I work with this very niche population. And there's nothing wrong with that because I think it helps kind of round out our knowledge, but it's my mission to create accessible continuing education that individuals can apply immediately. And so when I, when I get the feedback of, oh my gosh, I was able to use this cue. And when that cue didn't work, I, I was able to kind of troubleshoot and figure out a way to better communicate with that individual. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's, that's truly all I can ask for. So I'm really excited for this next step with the clinic course. Um, and I'm really excited to see where it goes. I mean, 
I, well, you know me, I have a lot of plans, so I'm sure, you know, you we'll, know where my head's at. <laughs> yeah. We'll keep them under wraps, but um, I think those are the best events when there is a mix or an opportunity of that practical piece, whether that's physically going through it. I mean, in your, in the pre pandemic, you know, in the live courses, you know, you're going through it with a partner and there's, you know, uh, you're doing the squad and you're correcting and you're, you're seeing these things happen in real time. And those are always, I, I find that too, you take more away and it's not just something you, you store either in your mind or on a bookshelf somewhere and you never really get back to it. And so those are, I think, whether that shifted to virtual, you're still keeping that element. And, and now as you take another step into a online program, you still have that element to it and didn't lose what was really valuable or really what the antithesis of how it actually started. Right. So kind of cue error that always comes up, you know, you're not, I'm not trying to get you to give all the course away, but is there a general, Hey, this comes up a lot that you can kind of share how you would troubleshoot it. And then that, you know, if we need more, this is where you kind of branch from the course or into the course. It's hard to pick one cue only because every individual receives information very differently. So a cue that maybe I utilize with you that wasn't successful could be successful for someone else. So of course there are some cues that I'm like, okay, when you say it, do you know if the person actually understands what you're asking? So let's say when someone says brace the core, well, have you taught that person what bracing your core really means? So brace the core could be that kind of quick reminder, but have you explained how they're actually supposed to feel when they're kind of creating that pressure in, in the midsection? I think the most common mistake kind of overall is over cueing. We get really excited about what we know. I try to frame over cueing as a positive thing because when I ask, hands up if anyone has overcued a movement before. And you know, most people are putting up their hands. I'm putting up my hand. I get really, I get really damn excited about human movement. And I, I want to tell you everything you need to know to be successful. But part of, you know, being an effective communicator is understanding how much information you can give to someone at once and where their focus is going to go. So I think if, if I would, you know, pinpoint one kind of common error with queuing, it would be delivering a little bit too much information at once and not allowing someone's focus to stay in one portion of the movement or one phase of the movement. And sometimes their focus has to be in five different places because you've given them five different things. So, I mean, I'll give a little tidbit. I like to use the analogy of the grocery list. So, Jay, I'm sending you into a grocery store and I'm asking you to get milk and eggs. Okay, go get milk and eggs. The second grocery list is, I want you to get 2% milk. I want you to get organic omega-3 eggs. I want you to get five sweet potatoes, three pieces of broccoli and one pack of granola bars. What Uh grocery list is gonna be easier to remember? Yeah, definitely the first one. Shorter, concise, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because sometimes when we give too many details, then it gets a a little bit harder to remember those specific details, right? Do you remember how many pieces of broccoli I asked you to get? Is this a trick question? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. So I think when we can be really clear and concise and simplify that cue or those very few cues that we're giving, I think we're going to see a little bit more success with those things. 
And oftentimes when you correct one area of a movement, it could alleviate a different portion of the movement as well. So if you're seeing like a couple things that are off, tackling the, the thing that could potentially cause that individual they're moving through a movement pattern and you know something like they may hurt their back or they may the, something may happen with their knees if you don't cue up that portion you cue up that area well that could clean up other areas of the movement as well so focusing on that one thing having them focus on that one area mastering that and then delivering more cues to help them further their understanding of of the movement no i think that's that's such a great analogy, such a great way to think about it. Um, you know, I just kept thinking, you know, if, if they're bogged down by some of those smaller details to get to miss the, the big thing you were trying to correct, like you said, that could cause an injury or could put them in a compromising position. And so, you know, if I, if I said 2% milk and, and you got 2% cream, now we're in trouble. Right. So, exactly. you know, just get milk, like just get milk, yeah. you know? So yeah. I think that that's a really great way to think about it. We, you know, you've been doing it a long time and, and we all, like you mentioned, everything leads to where you are now. And, and I believe that too, that one of my favorite movies is back to the future showing my age a little bit, but if you could go into the DeLorean and go back in time uh, to a time or a situation within your career that, you know, you could just offer your younger self a little guidance. Again, it could be you went right and, and maybe you, you should have went left. I remember the moment actually very vividly. So I was in my second year at Laurier and one of the teams that I was working with was men's football. And it was an incredible experience. Uh, I'm so appreciative of the opportunity that Coach Falds gave me at such a young age. And, you know, I, I don't think at the time I realized the, the message that came across when it was a young female leading the strength and conditioning of a football team, right? I, I didn't understand just how truly powerful that was. And I'm very appreciative of that experience. But I remember sending out, we sent out anonymous surveys to gather some feedback on the strength and conditioning program. And I think feedback is a very important piece of coaching. It's a very important piece of development. And I would, even as a young athlete, I'd often put myself into vulnerable situations to receive feedback. And I sent these surveys out and I got a couple from the football team and they weren't very constructive. A lot of them just, it appeared that they had an issue with the way that I ran things. I feel like it, you know, if there was a male counterpart that was running it the same way I was, maybe the complaints wouldn't be there. But, and so I, I read through these pieces of feedback over and over again, because I really do believe there's, there's gotta be something constructive in here, right? There's gotta be something that I can learn from. There's gotta be something that I can get better with. And a lot of times it was just like all the things that I'm not and all the things that I couldn't do and all the things that I'm not capable of. And that hurt me a lot. And I, I think it hurt me more than I'd like to admit. And I remember sitting in my room and I was very upset. I just, I'm the kind of person I demand the best from myself. And when I feel like I've disappointed people or I haven't kind of lived up to this expectation, it's really, really kind of challenging for me. And I think 
I remember going on the computer that night, researching master's degrees and like pulling up new certifications. Cause I felt like I had to be smarter and I had to know more. And I, you know, I, I wasn't enough. And, you know, so I think if I could go back in time, I would just kind of remind myself of a quote that I heard kind of, you know, at that same kind of time frame. But I think just after this happened is you could be the juiciest, ripest peach and there's still going to be someone that hates peaches. So just reminding myself that like, I'm, I'm never going to please everyone and I'm never going to be everyone's cup of tea and that's okay. But it doesn't mean that I'm not enough as I am. And so I, I didn't spend a long time in, in that state, but I definitely would kind of go back to that moment. Again, I could picture it very vividly in the exact room in my condo at, in Waterloo. And I was really, really upset. And I just, I just thought I wasn't enough to be a good coach, not realizing that, you know, I, I am enough just as I am at every stage in my career. And I, I think that's something that I, I want to remind people of is, of course, there's always going to be that next level we want to reach. There's always going to be that person that we admire, that we want to be like, and we want to succeed like, but that doesn't mean that we don't have what it takes as we are. And I really do believe that we have what we need already inside of us. It's just a matter of tapping into that. So I think I, I just would want to, I, I'm definitely, I definitely believe that every challenge and every decision has guided me to where I am today and exactly where I should be. But I think I just, if, if I could go back to that moment and just say, it's going to be okay. Give yourself some time to process through it because you're going to grow a really thick skin from this and you're going to learn a lot from this situation. It's, it's just going to hurt right now. And that's okay. Cause you're going to come out of this. No, I, I definitely appreciate kind of the honesty and, and going to a difficult um, situation for you. And yeah, I think it's something a lot of people can relate to at, at some time or another, whether that's being placed with the sport that they're, you know, maybe they don't have a lot of experience in or, or being in a place where they, you know, they think they're not enough. And so, um, you know, the different routes that you took as far as like, well, then I'm just going to get smarter. And, and that's not going to work either. You know, because like you said, that example of like, you know, you, you could be the picture perfect peach, but someone doesn't like peaches, it doesn't matter. Right. And so the quicker you figure that out, you know, the quicker you can, you know, still explore those opportunities if you want to learn other things, but know that that's not the be all and end all of, 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 of that relationship or that situation that's kind of getting you uh, stuck. Right. So su super appreciate that. As we shift to kind of finishing up, I always like to, to know what people do outside of, of the weight room and outside of kind of their, you know, their everyday and, and what is your escape to kind of recharge the batteries a little bit, allow your mind to get away from the profession? You know, what does that look like for you? And, and has it changed a little bit due to the pandemic? Yeah, actually, to be honest, I think I've prioritized recharge time more with the pandemic. I mean, I think it's natural without the commute. Um, so it's allowed me a little bit more kind of pockets of time. So um, Lego is a big one for me. I really <laughs> love building Lego. Um, I, I'm someone that um, I do have a hard time shutting off and I do have a hard time, especially as an entrepreneur. It's, and especially in kind of a service based 
industry, it's really easy to always want to give to others. So it just allows me to kind of keep my mind thinking, keep my hands going, but um, in a more kind of creative aspect, being near a body of water. So if I truly want to recharge uh, a really beautiful escape for me is either going down by the lake or going to the ocean or, you know, if it's going on vacation or whatever it may be, which hopefully can happen in the coming years. Um, reading, I've, I've rediscovered a love for reading. I am now a massive Marvel fan. So you could probably catch me watching a Marvel movie or Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And as much as I, as much as like, I want to give an answer that it's like, no, I get off technology and I fully recharge. Technology is also how I recharge. So right. um, whether it's watching a show that is just a feel good show like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or like honestly the marvel saga is so phenomenally written so it's it's just so fun to kind of dive into that universe um and honestly i'm a very visual person i love scrolling pinterest oh, nice. which is probably something you wouldn't expect but i just think it's really fun it just kind of takes the um it's nice to get off instagram because sometimes you know instagram is very connected to people and things and places whereas pinterest is just kind of like a a visual well, it's a vision board and I'm very visual. So I love kind of seeing places that I want to travel or food I want to make or outfits I want to wear, or, you know, it kind of just takes me outside the weight room a little bit. It takes me outside the world of human performance and just allows me to also just be Elena, which I think is so just creating time for that, I think is really important. Yeah. I, I think, like you said, sometimes recharge doesn't have to mean you know, put your phone away or put TV away, or it doesn't have to mean that it can mean, like you said, just shifting focus. And so if my Instagram account is, you know, more professional based and, you know, when I'm scrolling on there, the things I'm going to see are going to get the wheels turning um, versus like you said, Pinterest, maybe it's a little bit different. It's not you, you, what you've been searching is, is not strength and conditioning related. And so now what you see is going to be other things, right. And get the creativity going or get something, you know, an interest you have outside. So, um, yeah, I think that's awesome. Well, I just wanted to thank you, um, for your time, for your, uh, again, your honesty and openness, as well as just getting some insight as to how, you know, a lot of us are, are starting some of these things outside of our everyday and to see someone who's been doing it for a long time and also just seeing how these things have evolved. I think it's one thing to put something out and, and just stay stagnant with that. And, and that's just kind of how it is, but to see it grow and explore other avenues for the same content to, to get out and reach more people, I think is, is really um, inspiring to, to hopefully everyone. So I just wanted to thank you for that. Well, I appreciate the conversation so much and yeah, I, to be honest, and, and I know, I love being a part of the strength conditioning industry, but I think early on, I felt a lot of pressure to be in a collegiate position to be able to call myself a strength coach. And I think what stopped me from pursuing the entrepreneurial route, um, and, and I'm very happy that I took the time I did before diving into it, but I think I was really concerned about, you know, could I still call myself a strength coach? What are these other collegiate strength coaches going to think. And I, and I mean, I think it just comes with age and experience as you kind of start to just, you know, grow a little bit more confident and, you know, 
well, personally speaking, I just started to grow more confident in who I am as a person and what I can offer and, and how I operate. And, you know, if people have their, their thoughts and their opinions and their judgments, then like, that's great. It's, you know, think what you'd like, but I think we all need to just take control of our own choices and really to not care about what other people think. I mean, of course, it's important to take people's, you know, some people's feelings into consideration if you have a partner or, you know, family or whatever it might be. But I think we put so much weight on the opinions of, of people that we admire that have never walked a day in our shoes. So they just have no idea, like, how we think and how we operate. So I'm, I'm really happy that I trusted myself more than I trusted the opinions of others. And so I, I share that because I, I know there's probably people that feel the same way. And especially now in this kind of pandemic world, people are trying to shift and they're trying to pivot. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how the industry is changing. And I think it's changing in a really positive way to just kind of see more and, and see different perspectives and see how, you know, successful strength coaches come in a lot of different ways. So I'm excited about the growth of the industry. Yeah, so am I. Um, I'm going to post kind of all of your handles in the show notes. So if people want to reach out, I know you're super kind of open and um, active on social media, apart from when you're watching Marvel movies. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, everything will, will be on there for them to reach out and, and kind of information about um, your website and how to kind of get on the clinic waiting list and, and sign up list and all that stuff, because there's always stuff um, coming out newsletters and, and so much uh, information that you you get out to people so um, again just want to thank you and, and keep up the great work thank you jay i appreciate it so much this is